This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Don't forget, coming up in Hour 2, Philadelphia Flyers General Manager Daniel Briere stops by. I don't know whatever we could possibly have to talk about with Danny, but nonetheless. Uh, and Jamie Lee Rattray from PWHL Boston. She will stop by as well. Rat scores goals. That's what I was told years ago. Rat scores goals. And John Cooper piles up wins. Most recently collecting up win number 500. He is the... Uh, Longest tenured coach currently serving in the NHL, yet he is without a Jack Adams trophy. Bizarre, right? One of the best coaches of this generation, maybe the best coach of this generation, without a Jack Adams. Eric Erlinson, our good friend from lightninginsider.com, joins me now. Eric, how are you, pal? I'm good, Jeff. Thanks for having me on again, man. Good to hear from you. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice. And uh, listen, you and I have talked about John Cooper so many different times. And here we go again. Uh, It's with dismay. And I know that, you know, Cooper will always, you know, sort of play it down. Oh, it's not a big deal. Um, But how much do you think, uh, first of all, like 500 wins is remarkable um, for a coach. And 500 wins for a a coach with the same team uh, is remarkable as well. Do you have any idea why along the way he hasn't you know even just accidentally bumped into a coach of the year you know i i think it comes down to the way that many of the voters vote on that award is based on expectations and really ever since 15 when they reached their first stanley cup final they've expected to be a good team and they've been a good team and and i think that that's just what it comes down to is that because the expectations are they're a good team He's done it what it was expected of him. You know, you look at the history of the award, the award, especially in the last 15 years or so, it's usually who did more with less, and, and that's kind of how it's looked at. So uh, it, it is incredible that uh, all the accomplishments that jo- uh, John Cooper has gone through, that he has not won a Jack Adams. I think he's only been a, a finalist twice, I think 15 and then 19. And, you know, if it wasn't for Barry Trotz and the amazing job he did with the Islanders that year, turning them from the worst defensive team into the best defensive team, yeah. John Cooper would have won it in 2019. Uh, but it's it just comes down to that. But you know what? He's got his name on a couple of cups. I think he'll take that. <laughs> no, I, I think, listen, that, that, that cements you into the... Uh... Uh, into the, the, the land of the immortals uh, around the NHL. Uh, why do you think, listen, you're right there and you're a lot closer to it than I am and, and many of our listeners as well. Why do you think he's been able to endure? You know, we've seen coaches come and coaches go and some coaches, you know, some teams have shuffled out three, four, five coaches while John Cooper's tenure continues with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Why does this guy endure and how? Well, first of all, he has a great line and he's used this a few times. He always says, if you show me a good coach, and I'll show you a coach who has a supportive wife, a loyal dog, and a really good goaltender. He's had really good goaltenders <laughs> in his tenure here, starting with Ben Bishop, yeah. right into Andre Vasilevsky. I, I mean, look, it, it's obviously there's more to it than that, but there's a lot of talent on this team. There's been a lot of talent on this team, but you know, he brought along the Andre Palats, the Tyler Johnsons. He coached them in, junior, uh, in, in the AHL on their way to the NHL. Yep. He just has this way of getting to, to the players. We talk about how modern-day players are. John Cooper is a modern-day coach because of the way that he can relate to the players in a manner in which he's never putting them down. Right? Like He never calls out his players publicly, even when we try and press him on the questions. Um, so I think that goes a long way to the modern-day athlete to, rather than tearing mm-hmm. them down, just keep building them up and 
you look at the way he coaches in games, and, and I'll never forget this, during the, the 2020 Stanley Cup run, Blake Coleman made a mistake in the conference final against the Islanders, and it cost him a goal. Who did he throw right back out there? The Gord, Coleman, and Goodrow line. And 15 seconds later, Blake yeah. Coleman got the goal back. And that's an extreme example, but that's the trust he puts in his players. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily afraid to make mistakes knowing that it's not going to cost them. And I think that really resonates with a lot of uh, modern-day athletes. Uh, I, I think those are the best types of coaches. You know, there are, there are some coaches that, you know, when they, you know, hold a player back, you know, uh, for a shift or two, uh, the best ones find a way to double shift that player uh, in the same game to give them a chance to send it right back to the coach. I remember one talking to one coach who, who said to me, like, whenever I bench a player, I always come back and double shift them. And I tell him, I want you to have a chance to tell me to F off with your play. Now yeah. go do it. This is your chance to get back at me for sitting you down. Players respond to stuff like that. They, uh, they, they, they really, really do. Um, listen, the, the other thing that we know about players and coaches and that relationship is it's not always great. It's not always harmonious. And star players have a lot of expectations, not just of themselves, but the people around them. And that includes teammates and that includes coaches as well. We know that the relationship hasn't always been smooth between Steven Stamkos and John Cooper. How would you describe the history of that relationship? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, a lot of respect between the two. Uh, certainly there was a, a time, and I, and I think there's still even some of it underlying today. Like Steven Stamkos has basically been a winger since John Cooper's been here. He's been a center, you know, sometimes, and certainly the year he had the 104 points that he finished with was with center, and a lot of that was because of the injuries that they had that year. Um, so certainly Steven Stamkos thinks he's a, he's a better center, even at this point of his career. So there's certainly some of that that kind of goes on between. But they understand each other. He is the captain of this team. There's, all, there's an open relationship uh, between the two of them and the fact that they've won cups together and then the success and everything they've had. Uh, I think that goes a long way. So, uh, you know, and I'm sure it's been that way with Victor Hedman at times and Andre Vasilevsky at times and guys like that. Obviously, Stammer, sure. with the, the presence that he has and the captain that he is, maybe he gets a little more public play. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that those two really have a lot of respect for each other and understand where each other is coming from. And that's when it comes to a coach and a player, that's really all you can ask for. Um, I, I want to cite one game specifically, just sort of running through in my, in my brain all the – all the big moments for John Cooper, like the cups are the cups, and that's listen, that's that's outstanding. The individual awards are the individual awards. There's always one game that I come back to where it felt to me, I'm curious what you think about this, that John Cooper really had his neck out. And it was a game against the Ottawa Senators. And I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going with this one. This was a game where he sat down Nikita Kucherov. And he was nailed to the bench. And it's a game that ended up going into overtime. It was Anthony Sorelli that scored the overtime winner, and they won. And I walked away from the game saying, I wonder if the result was that Ottawa had won while Cooper had Kucherov nailed to the bench, what that would have done to his relationship with the team. Am I putting too much into that one game? But ever since it happened, Eric, I'll be honest with you, I've kind of been obsessed about that moment. I remember watching and thinking, wow, Cooper is really sticking his neck out here. Did you feel the same way about that one game specifically? I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. 
Oh, for sure. I, I remember that game like it was yesterday, and uh, I remember the play. It was it was on a power play. The Lightning had a one goal lead. Um, you know, he makes a risky play right inside the blue line. Uh, the the it's Anthony Duclair picked up the, the puck, went down, scored on a breakaway. It's a tie game. That's what forced it to go to overtime. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways there was a lot of dichotomy there um, because Anthony Sorelli scored the winner, and Anthony Sorelli is the prototypical hardworking guy. Didn't have a lot of you know yep. raw talent that Nikita Kucherov has, and he ends up winning the game. Whereas the super talented winger is the one that's benched, and that was like like I said, John Cooper does not call out his players publicly. That's a public call out, and you're right; it can go one yep. or two ways. They can either go south and you lose the locker room, or it galvanizes everybody, the coaching staff and the players on the ice and in the locker room as well. And obviously, it went the way of galvanizing. The other one that I think about too was last year. When he benched Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, and Nikita Kucherov for the third period of a game in Buffalo. And that that takes a lot of moxie to be able to do something like that. But he's got a lot more, I guess, street cred, we'll call it nowadays, to be able to pull a move off like that compared to maybe a few years ago when he hadn't even won a Stanley Cup yet when he's benching the all-star player. Um, Yeah, it it takes a lot of uh, cojones to do that, and um, it worked out for him for sure. But it was needed, right? Like, I remember leading up to that game, there was a lot of times where Kucherov was making those plays and he wasn't correcting himself, so it it got to a tipping point. Right. Um, But you're right. Like, that was one of those, like, this is going to go one of two ways here. I better cross my fingers and hope that, oh, look, thank God, (laughs) Anthony Sorale just scored. Um, Okay, a a couple of things quick here. Uh, Outside outside of John Cooper, um, we talked about Steve Stamkos a couple of moments ago in the the, the preseason. Uh, Stamkos really raised eyebrows by saying he was disappointed that there wasn't an engagement on a contract extension. Um, The story was the story for a couple of news cycles, and then it kind of went away. But I think we've always sort of wondered in the back of our minds, uh, are they really going to let Steven Stamkos go at the end of this season? Is there any update on what's happening with Stamkos, Julian Brisebois, the general manager, and an extension? Yes, status quo. Um, You know, Julian came out and said he wasn't going to talk about it until after the end of the regular season where he had more data. Obviously, one of those data points is is the – the salary cap for sure. They're, they're a cap tight team as it is. Yeah. Uh, so there's no update on that, but I, I'm with you there, Jeff. I don't, it's hard for me and maybe I'm a little too close to the situation, but it's hard for me to picture Steven Samkos not ending his career here. And I know this franchise has seen Andre Palats and Tyler Johnson's and Alex Kalorns, you know, have to move on to other teams. It's hard to think that that's going to be the situation with Steven Santos. But here we are in January and it's, it's trending in that direction. Things can always change. But that's kind of where things are trending. Okay, and uh, and last one for you here. Um, Nikita Kucherov and the Hart Trophy. Like, there are a number of candidates, and we all know McDavid is hard-charging, and we all know what uh, Nathan McKinnon is doing. And if Crosby can somehow get this Pittsburgh Penguins team into a solid spot in the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of noise around him. Uh, your thoughts, or maybe, you know, considering you watch every single shift of his, uh, how do you make the case for Nikita Kucherov this year? It's a, it's a strong field again. Yeah, there's so much talent in the league nowadays. It's it's incredible to think that um, you know Victor Hedman's only won one Norris Trophy. You know, to kind of put it in, in that perspective. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, Nikita Kucherov has been a driver of this team 
um, you know, the offensive accolades there, but you know, he's it's it's up and down the ice. It's it's the two way game that he's really improved on. You know, he's wearing an A for his leadership now. Um, you know, he has a voice in the locker room where maybe he didn't when guys like McDonough and Pat Maroon and, and those guys were were in the locker room. Uh, you know, he's he's kind of found his voice in that aspect. So he's been a driver of this team in a lot of areas, and I think he went scoreless the other night uh, against the Kings. He has as many three-point games this year as he has zero-point games this year, and that kind of tells you the consistency and everything else that he's had. Huh. So uh, I know McKinnon's been a hard charger of late, and certainly uh, McDavid has come on as the Oilers have turned their season around. Uh, but Kucherov definitely yeah. deserves to be in that conversation. Everybody, you must be on lightninginsider.com if you want to know what's going on with Tampa. Uh, Eric Erlinson has been our guest. Uh, Eric, always good, my friend. You, uh, you take care, and uh, we'll check back soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. There he is, the great Eric Erlinson covering the Tampa Bay Lightning. Man, is he uh, is he all over Tampa? And by the way, you can see Tampa in action tonight uh, against the New Jersey Devils at home as we bring aboard Matt Marchese. How are you doing today, Matty? I'm good, pal. How are you? How did you meet the Belichick news on your show today? Uh, shocked. I did not expect. I mean, kind of expected it, but like at the same time, it's like it's one of the, it's like Scotty Bowman, just you know deciding <laughs> I'm not going to coach anymore. It's the same type of thing. Yeah. So I guess Al Arbor yeah. is probably the more apt uh, correlation because it was, you know, a long tenure with one team. And anyway, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yep. Well, it's time now, Maddie, for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local, you have your eyeballs on which game of the 13 tonight? Uh, Kings at Panthers. The puck line is Panthers minus one and a half. Ooh. L.A. has actually won the last five in Florida. Uh, in seven of L.A.'s last eight games on the road, the under has hit. The Panthers, as we know, riding an eight-game winning streak. And here's my favorite one, Jeff. Uh, Paul Maurice had this quote on December 18th. Matthew Kachuk will get hot at some point and streak, and they'll say he's back. And I'll say he was never really gone. Since that quote, Matthew Kachuk has six (laughs) goals and 11 assists for 17 points in nine games. Sam Reinhardt's a story, though. Boy, <laughs> like, I, know, I know all the things about he's Matthew Kachuk, but man, is Reinhardt. Contract year, oh, baby. I mean, Reinhardt, well, he's hitting it at the right time, too. Like, tonight's going to be a fascinating one. Like, LA fascinates me um, because all of the sudden, they look like a much slower team. And, you know, all those people that said, you know, Cam Talbot can't play all these games, good call. You know, sometimes the haters are right. We never talk about that. Sometimes the haters are right. Uh, And right now the haters are right about the Los Angeles Kings who have very much hit a speed wobble. We'll see what happens in this one because the Panthers are going through teams like hogs into truffles. Uh, We'll see what happens. Matthew Kachuk facing off against Anse Kopitar and the Los Angeles Kings. That's Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Coming up in hour two, Daniel Briere, the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. But joining me next, Jamie Lee Rattray from PWHL Boston. Rat scores goals, and she talks next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Welcome to Hour 2 of the program. Glad to have you aboard today. Hope you enjoyed the first hour. Lots of news in there with Elliot. Some good perspective on the Tampa Bay Lightning with Eric Erlinson. And coming up at the bottom of this hour, Daniel Briere of the Philadelphia Flyers, their general manager. Oh, whatever will we talk about with Danny? In the meantime, last night, rough one between Minnesota and Toronto in the PWHL. Taylor Heisey was outstanding with a pair of goals. Sarah Nurse responds uh, for Toronto. Minnesota ends up winning this one. They go to 3-0 and and some rough stuff between two superstars, uh, Heisey and Nurse. We were about this close to seeing our first PWHL fight. Montreal, Marie-Philippe Poulin with the hat trick. They defeat uh, New York by a final score of 5-2. Looks like Montreal is hitting their stride. Being joined now by someone who plays with uh, PWHL Boston. Uh, You certainly know her from playing on the national team. You know her from gold medals in the Olympics and the World Championships and winning the Patty Kazmaier and winning a national championship with Clarkson. I could go on and on and on. She has plenty of accolades. She wears an A with Boston as presented, as we saw in a really nice video with Hillary Knight and Patrice Bergeron uh, not too long ago. That was a nice surprise. She is Jamie Lee Rattray, and she joins me now. Jamie, how are you? Good. How are you, Jeff? Uh, I'm good. So I don't know if your ears were burning last night, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a real hard-hitting question. So I was talking to someone about you last night, and this person said to me, nobody plans a wedding faster than Jamie Lee Rattray. <laughs> She said, ask her, it's like she was engaged and then like five minutes later, first of all, congratulations on the impending nuptials. She's like, she's, she, she got engaged and five minutes later, five minutes later, everything was planned. What's the story behind this one, Jamie? Well, I think to be honest, I have probably the most organized fiance on the planet. Um, but no, I think uh, because of, to be honest, I mean, as you know, as you know, as a hockey player, our schedule can get super hectic during the winters and and now we're at the age when everyone's getting married so we had to kind of find a weekend quickly and make sure they don't intersect with any more of our of my teammates weddings and uh pick a date and go forward with it but um yeah my fiance is very organized i am too but i uh, i'm along for the ride and she's done a really good job of uh, getting it together and i'm super excited for that next summer I, I get the feeling you're underselling yourself based on the conversation I had about you yesterday. But nonetheless, we'll uh, we'll we'll leave it there. First of all, um, like I, I don't want to say, are you surprised? Because I think that's a sort of pandering question. So I'm not going to say that. I'm just curious about your reaction to uh, the way that this new league has been received from all corners. You know, like I've got a, a friend of mine, his his daughter plays, uh, she's a 2010, and he says, it's all the girls talk about in the room, on the drive to the rink, all of it. Um, so many people that I talk to, like my, my son's games, a lot of the parents at, uh, ask about it, talk about it, interested in it. We all knew that this was going to be a success at some point. Um, what do you make of how the league has been received initially? Because the response kind of seems overwhelming, Jamie. Yeah, I think overwhelming is a good word to use. I think as a player, I think, to be honest, like watching you know, the first couple of games as a fan and as a spectator, I was emotional, right? I think um, it was really cool to see everybody support it so quickly and just the the, the visibility and seeing all my, you know, whether it was a former teammates of mine or girls that I played against get to be, you know, have their moment was super, super cool. And then obviously when we played our first game, I kind of caught myself the first, you know, five, 10 minutes, just trying to like get myself together because it was a really cool moment. But to be honest, I think it's just been really cool to see, you know, the, the really, you know, welcoming everybody has, has, you know, had it. And I think, 
one thing that I've just really loved is I think it's always been there, right? Our product has always been there. And it's just been, you know, shows how much of hard work the, the people have done behind the scenes the last couple of years. And we were patient and we put in the work and it really came together at the right time. And it's just really mm-hmm. cool to see the product on the ice now. I think you saw last night, like, watching two, those two games, there's just so much good hockey being played. And, you know, the best players, you know, oh, yeah. shined. And it's just really awesome to see. So, um, I'm not surprised because I think, you know, playing this game for so long, the product has always been there, but I'm also just, you know, really loving how much work was done behind the scenes and, you know, there's not enough thanks that can go around for that. Can I ask you about your phone? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one player that I was talking to last week after their first game said that she was blown away You know, after the game, turned her phone on and it's a million messages, some from people she hadn't heard from in years, others, certainly, you know, family and, and friends. Others were just surprises, whether it's players from other teams or uh, NHLers or, you know, people from uh, sort of all different walks of life with, you know, congratulations texts. How's your phone been since this league started? Well, it hasn't stopped uh, buzzing, that's for sure. I think, you know, that's that's uh, been the theme. Everyone's just kind of chiming in and super excited about the league. And um, I think, too, being in a, a market like Boston, I think there's just so much visibility here, right? They just love their sports so much. I think it's been really cool to be a part of. And I think as the games go on, you'll see it more and more. And, you know, girls that I played with, you know, in, in Peewee and in high school, right? I'm starting to hear from girls like that. And it's been really, really cool. And, um, I just think it's going to grow even more, and I think we'll just see it. You know, yeah. I think I don't. I don't mind all the messages. I think it's just really, really cool to see everyone kind of buying in and watching. I think they're just finally excited to watch us play all the time, right? And I think that's one thing. I think the league has done well so far is that it's visible, right? You can watch it on YouTube. You can watch it anywhere, right? And I can turn it on yep. um, anywhere I can watch them. So I think that's been really cool, and that's why you know messages have been there because I think people are just able to watch it. With Jamie Lee Rattray from PWHL Boston. Um, you know, it's funny. I was having a conversation with Haley Salvian yesterday, and we were texting back and forth yesterday, and we, you know, we, we thought we were going to see our first one in that, that Toronto-Minnesota game, which was super rough. Like, Minnesota's a, a, Minnesota's a tough team. Um, like, I think one of the things that a lot of people who may not be familiar with the women's game, one of the big takeaways is just how physical it is and how, like, hits are for keeps, and it's rough, and after whistles, it doesn't matter you're still going forward so Haley and I let me see what that see what I can get with you on this one so Haley and I last yesterday on the show here we're talking about okay so who's going to have the first fight in this league and I threw out the name and it's the obvious one I said okay Abby Rock for sure and she came back with Jesse Comfer and then one person I texted from another team came back and said Renata Fast she can snap uh Jamie Lee Rattray who has the first fight in this league Oh boy. Uh, I mean, to echo kind of what you said, I think I love, I love it. I think the one thing that you'll see in our game is we are so competitive, right? And I think the cool thing about this league is now we have this, you know, these rivalries forming this competitiveness. We each have our own team now where we're going to try and build something and try and win. Right. So I don't know. I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, great players out there that have that edge and I think it really adds to their teams. I mean, I've played with Renata fast for years and I've, she's probably the most competitive human on the planet to be honest she hates losing she hates getting yep. beaten practice so um i wouldn't be surprised if you see renata get into it but you know watching jesse Comfort <laughs> play as well i think she has she has yeah. a good edge to her and i mean you can never count out abby as well so i think 
for me, I'll, I'll, I'll take Renata, and I think I'll, I'll take Renata for the win. I got her back there, but I think I will not be engaging, I don't think, in that one. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially what I'm asking is, like, okay, who are the snap cases that we should all be paying attention to around the, uh, the PWHL here? You know, one of the things that I am really curious about, like, I'll be honest, like, to me, like, the, the great rivalry in, uh, in, in hockey uh, it exists on the women's side, and it's Canada versus the United States. And I know players on both sides, and I know how Canadians can how Canadians can feel about Americans, and I know how Americans can feel about Canadians. And this extends way, way back. Like I'm, Cassie Campbell Pascal has told me some really salty stories uh, from her uh, and and her, her national team competing against the United States. And some of the, the stories are, are pretty vicious and some are, you know, some are petty, some are snide, some are angry. Like there's like a really healthy, intense, honest rivalry between the two. I've always thought that the greatest, you know, behind the scenes documentary in sports that hasn't been made yet is follow the Canadian national team and the U.S. national team around to get a real sense of how either side feel about each other. This is a long winded way of me asking you this question. You've competed against Americans for a long time and the games have been intense and the games have been nasty. Now you're on a team with Hillary Knight. How was that? Uh, it's awesome. I think, uh, I mean, you've seen how many big goals she scored against us. It's way more fun being on, on this side. That's for sure. Um, but I think one yep. thing that I've really admired about Hill over the years is um, her consistency, right? I think you've, you've seen her do it her whole career. Um, but I think now being on the same team, you see it, see her do it every single day, whether it's, you know, in practice, in the game, in the gym, she has this mm-hmm. leadership quality about her that is just consistent. And she's also probably one of the, you know, most humble and, you know, selfless people I've, I've met. I think she, she's continually making sure that this team is, is comfortable, that the players are feeling their best so they can perform their best and, you know, I think that can be exhausting, right? But she's never, never complained. She's done it with such, you know, professionalism, you know, since I've been here. And I think the cool thing is I get to, I get to witness that every single day. And, um, I mean, obviously in practice, I see, I mean, I've seen it over the years, but you just really see how good she is, right? She has an incredible hockey IQ mm-hmm. that I don't think she gets enough credit for. I think um, she's one of the smartest players that I've ever played with. She just she sees you know the play two steps or three steps ahead than anyone else. So um, I think there's just so many qualities that she has, and there's a reason why she's our captain. And um, I think she just makes you know the group better because I think she just makes sure everyone's on the same page and and comfortable and making sure we can perform our best. And I think there's a huge reason why this league is going. And Hill has been a big part of that over the years, and she's fought for every single inch and. She does it on the ice with her play, but also off the ice. So I think that's one thing that I've really, you know, admired about her and got to know a bit more over the last couple of months. And it's been awesome. And I think uh, I like her scoring big goals for Boston more than I guess for the U S against Canada, but um, it's been a ton, it's been a ton <laughs> yes. of fun and it's, it's been really refreshing as a player, you know, playing with some different players and communicating with different players mm-hmm. and hearing their perspective on the game. So to be honest, it's been a lot of fun and really cool as a hockey player learning new things and just, you know, being able to talk hockey with, with different people. What did you think of the uh, the Patrice Bergeron uh, presentation? And, uh, you know, you're represented by Cortex. He was a Cortex guy. Did anyone from Cortex tip you off that Bergeron was going to be doing this? No, I had no idea. I thought that was 
one of the coolest days of my career. I mean, um, I re- we were able to cross paths a little bit in our training facility. I mean, he he trains a little bit here, and he's still working hard. And um, he's all such a classy guy. He's, you know, so down to earth and really um, just wants this league to do well and support it. And and what a cool honor to you know get a be a part of that leadership group but hearing you know from the ultimate leader himself right i think it was really cool and um he's such an icon to this city right and um he's just a really yeah. down-to-earth humble guy that um it's really cool to pick his brain on how he's you know how he saw the game and how he led and um it was such a cool day and something that uh, i'll never t- like never take that role for granted i think it's such a cool you know leadership group we have and such a great group so I, i'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure i do whatever I can to help lead this team. Uh, let me ask you about a player on your team that um, maybe a lot of people listening may not know uh, a lot about, but probably should. Like, everyone knows about you. Everybody knows about um, Hillary Knight. Everyone knows about Megan Keller. Uh, what should we know about Alina Mueller from Switzerland? Um, she's a non-real hockey player and a great human. Um, I think if you if you ever watch her when you watch her this year, I think she reminds me a little bit of Kucherov. She's got that like ability to see the ice so well. She slows the play down. She lets the play come to her before she makes um, the right play. I think um, she's sneaky, one of the fastest players on the ice. I think you saw that a bit in Utica and some of the mm-hmm. highlights. If anyone caught those, but um, she's one of the best players, you know, along the half wall. She really sees sees the play, and I think. Um, it's, it, I'm, I'm a little bit scared for how good she's going to be in about five years because if she's good now, can you imagine, you know, five years from now how good yeah. she's going to be? So, um, to be honest, she's, you know, she reminds me a lot. Like I think that's the comparison is Kucherov. She sees the ice well. She can sh- score. She can dish. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you give the puck. To, you know, she gets the puck to Hill so many times, and Hill's going to score every single time. So, um, I think she's a fun player to watch and it's, it's been really fun to kind of pick her brain as well. Right. She sees the game a little bit different than I do. And it's been, been a ton of fun. And she's, she's a hockey, you know, hockey nerd. She wants to continue learning and, and working on her game, which I think is such yeah. a quality that that'll make her such a elite player. And she already is an elite player, but you know, I think it's going to be really good to see her, you know, grow in this league for sure. Jamie, let me close on this one. Um, it's a it's a uh, international uh, question. Uh, we always wonder about emerging countries. Like right now, when I look at the PWHL, you know, I say to myself, "This is a great league, and a lot of the talent is here." There's still a lot of well, Finnish players um, that are still under contract to play in Finland. You know, three or four that you wonder, okay, if they make the decision to come over, you know, how do they fit into the mix in this league as well? When you look at emerging countries, I mean, Canada and the United States are well established. When you look at the emerging countries, we just, you know, talked about Mueller and she's from Switzerland. Who are the next countries that we should be paying more attention to on the women's side of hockey? Yeah, I mean, I think Czech is, you know, Czechia is kind of one that's, you know, stuck out to me. I mean, obviously they've won bronze the last couple of years, so they've kind of arrived yep. in, uh, in that. And you see how many players have kept come over to this league, right? There's so many great players, and it's kind of cool to see them playing with different players, right? Like you see in Montreal, there's a ton of Czech players maybe playing with Pooh or Stacy or, you know, things like that, which has been really cool. And I think um, that's really cool. And then I, we actually have a player on our team, Teresa Schaffel, is from Austria, who I know they're still in Division Two, but she mm-hmm. is an unreal hockey player. She just graduated from you know the university of vermont and she's you know she's got a bright future and i think you'll see more international players right start to come over as the league gets more established and um you'll just see the world the world championship and you know the world just catch up right not i mean i think a lot of the world has but i think you'll just see it more competitive every single year at the world championships which 
which is a lot. It's exciting. It's fun. And it makes the game super competitive. And um, it, I just think that this league is going to create so much more opportunities for a lot of different players in a lot of different countries, which I think is really mm-hmm. cool. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of international flair, which, you know, adds a lot of dynamic to this league. And it's, as a player, it's been a ton of fun, um, you know, playing with some of them and also obviously playing against them as well. I think playing against them more often too is, you know, such a good, you know, challenge for as individually as a player, or as a team. Right. So, I think overall you'll just see the level of play go up. And, and we're playing more, right? That makes a huge difference yeah. when we're playing more. So, yeah, that's, For sure. uh, it's been fun. Uh, let, let me ask one one final thought here. Um, I think a lot of us, you know, going into, you know, roster construction for these teams, and I'm not saying that you're not happy in Boston. You're on an elite-level team with elite-level skill around you. Um, but did you think you were going to Ottawa? I think a lot of us looked at this and said, oh, yeah, Rat's going to Ottawa. He's from Canada right there. Did you think you were going to Ottawa? I, you know, it's funny because I, I mean, obviously going home would have been awesome. I think, you know, everyone dreams of playing at home, but to be honest, going mm-hmm. into draft day, I was trying not to set my you know mind on a certain team because I didn't want to be too excited or too, you know, disappointed. I think, I mean, obviously sure. every time they went to the podium, I think, I think, you know, I'm, I'm human, right. I think it would have been exciting to go there and go back home, but um, it, to be honest, like, as soon as uh, I got drafted to Boston, I was super excited. I have a, a good relationship with, with, you know, Courtney Kessel. I got a chance to play with her in the CWHL days. So, mm. you know, having her as a coach is such a, a cool connection for me. And um, I think that as soon as I, you know, had a chat with, you know, our GM, the coaching staff, I just, I felt right where I was supposed to be. And, um, you know, I got a call from some of the, you know, some of the players that were already signed. I just felt right at home. And I think everything happens for a reason. And for me too, honestly, it's a good refresher, right? It's a good, reset a new adventure and you know 10 years out of college uh going to a new city and you know a new adventure has been really really nice for me and refreshing and um i mean what a cool city to come to boston has been an unreal you know place for me to hang out and watch the sports and you know be a part of the sports culture here and i think overall i just um obviously being home would have been awesome and um you know i can't wait to go play at home i think it's going to be really really special for me to go back to ottawa and play but uh, I'm th- I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I feel so, you know, valued here and comfortable here. So I think um, that's something that I really, you know, feel happy about, uh, you know, after draft day and going into the last couple of months. It's been, it's been awesome. I know you have Ottawa circled. I, I know that's on your calendar, Jamie. Like, circle, okay, I wait till I go back to Ottawa. Uh, in the meantime, good luck spoiling Montreal's home opener on Saturday. Thanks uh, so much for joining me today. This has, been a, this has been a delight. Good luck the rest of the way this season. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. Uh, Jamie Lee Rattray, a uh, member of the Canadian national team, a member of PWHL Boston. Uh, they'll face off against Montreal Saturday, 3.30 Eastern. And that is Montreal's opener. Um, and I guess in Boston right now, Bill Belichick is kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big story right now. Uh, okay, uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour here, Daniel Briere from the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. Of course, their general manager will stop by. More on the Cutter situation um, from the Flyers' point of view and also a thought on what he saw from Jamie Drysdale uh, last night. Uh, John Tortorella referring to him as a rover. Bring back the Rova. Uh, Matt Marchese with us here for a, for a few minutes before we get to Briere at the bottom of the hour. Um, first of all, Maddie, mm-hmm. how much, because uh, I know, listen, I, I know you're really busy. How much of the uh, the Montreal-Philadelphia game did you watch last night? Uh, a little bit of it. I didn't catch too much of it. I was just kind of all over the place last night, but uh, especially with all that news sure. that happened. Um, but I did, yes. uh, I did see that uh, Uri Slavkovsky got hurt again. 
Um, that and I know he came back. Uh, um, but it just he came back. I he know. Came back. But but whenever he gets hurt, we always say the same thing. Oh, oh, please, not this again. Yeah. Don't, don't. And it happens often. That's I think the biggest problem with this is that it happens too often, Jeff. Yeah, it's always something. Much this year is like last last year was bad. Last year was like okay, this well, he couldn't NHL keep his head up. Development league, <laughs> like no, I know that was a, that was a big part. He never had to. It was like the Lindros <laughs> phenomenon when he was younger. Well, I'm I'm just like curious what your thoughts were if you had any any chance to watch Jamie Dries. Like you've watched Jamie Drysdale yep. before. You've watched him play plenty, whether it's in the the GTHL, the OHL, or now in the NHL with the Anaheim Ducks. I don't know. Like I I I watch him last night, and maybe I'm just wanting to see this. But I mean, there's an element of his game that clearly Philadelphia doesn't have, mm-hmm. uh, and now they do. And, and I know everyone is, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about Cutter Goche and Anaheim's doing cartwheels, and rightfully so. Kids look great wherever he's gone. Most recently at the World Juniors, you know, BC's top team. They may win the national championship this year. It was great at the World Championship last year as well. But I keep coming back to this idea that the Flyers did really, really well in this trade. Uh, they have a lot of good young forwards either there or on the horizon. But, you know, offensive defensemen or just good defensemen and good young defensemen in general, they don't get moved, Maddie. And I know that Anaheim was negotiating from a position of strength, whether it's Minchikov or Zellweger or Lacombe, like Leno. Um, they have a lot of good young defensemen either there or coming. But at the same time, man, he looked really good with the Flyers last night. And we haven't seen anyone on that team play like that for a long time, which does, which does make me wonder about the future of someone like Sean Walker, who's on an expiring contract and has had a very good season for the Philadelphia Flyers and is doing a nice bit of business for himself. you have a thought on anything revolving around the Flyers' back end, Maddie? Well, I, I think I think what it does is um, it actually allows... Uh, not, that, not that I think that they were going to be hindered by, you know, not making a move for Jamie Drysdale or another defenseman, but it does make the the option of trading one of their defensemen a lot easier, right? Whether you're going to bring back Sean Walker or not, but it does make that decision. It's like, okay, we have a really good right-handed shot defenseman, and I, I no disrespect to Sean Walker, but I think the the ceiling is a little bit higher for Jamie Drysdale than it is for Sean Walker. Different it, players. Yeah, and Different it, does, players. it just does yeah. allow them to make a move without thinking like, okay, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to replace this player or whatever the case may be if they don't come back in free agency. So I think mm-hmm. that's part of it. I think the thing with Jamie Drysdale for me is what he brings to the Flyers is he's, and it's, he would bring it to a lot of teams. He's a big defenseman who skates really, really well. Oh, and he's right-handed, by the way. That also has a lot to do with it. Like, yeah. they just don't make those types of defensemen anymore. I don't know why. I don't know why everybody who's right-handed is a forward, it feels like, or a good one. But they don't make a lot of really good, big, right-handed defensemen who can skate really well. And last night, he got a shot on the power play, albeit he didn't play a ton on the power play. But he got, you know, just over a minute. He had a power play assist. And I think that's where he's going to end up making a big impact for this team is having that right shot defenseman who can give you a little something, carrying the puck out. God forbid we have a defenseman that can carry the puck out. Um, I, I think that Jamie Drysdale is a great fit. Like I said to you when the trade happened, the next day when we were talking about it, I looked at it and said, wait, you got Jamie Drysdale and a second round pick for Cutter Goche? Like to yeah. me, I think Daniel Breer, I think that was a steal. It's a really good bit of business. Like, and 
normally in a situation where you're backed into a corner where okay you know i i don't think the i don't think he's going to pull a jimmy vc or an adam fox and stay for 4 years and then come out as a free agent cuz he's probably ready to start playing in the nhl now or has already been there uh so you know philadelphia is kind of in a in a in a spot here um and their backs are kind of against the wall to to make a move and the longer that you don't make a deal the more you run the risk of all this information coming out and here comes another trade deadline and what happens around trade deadline people start talking and there's two times of the year where people really start lying which is trade deadline and the draft those are the those are the, the two times of the year uh, that we've all found where the uh, where a lot of key people in the industry tend to stretch the truth um, or do creative truthing, otherwise known as lying. But uh, eventually, like, the situation that Philadelphia was in um, was going to get public. And I think that, like, quite honestly, you know, I'll talk to Briere about this coming up in a couple of moments. I think the Philadelphia Flyers traded him at the perfect time. This is when, you know, the World Juniors has just ended, um, Cutter Goche has been fantastic and was a man amongst boys in that tournament and really distinguished himself as someone who's, you know, gonna gonna play in the NHL instantly and could become an impact player in in short order. And like there were there were no more secrets about Cutter Goche at all. Like that junior tournament cemented it and everybody knows how good Cutter Goche is. So of course, that's the minute you make the trade because that asset was at the height of its value. I think that was a nice bit of business by Briere, Keith Jones, everybody involved in the Philadelphia Flyers organization. Uh, before we get to Briere, a couple of things. Uh, any other games? I know you mentioned the Kings and the Panthers earlier. That's an intriguing one because the Panthers are just so good, and the Los Angeles Kings are at the very end of that uh, uh, equation right now. Um, it's been some really bad hockey recently from the Los Angeles Kings, and they look slow in a very fast division around them. Uh, any other games grabbing your attention here? Like, I wonder if, you know, Seattle can keep rolling against the Washington Capitals. Uh, I wonder about Vancouver, who just, like, decimated the New York area, scotching the Devils, starching the New York Rangers, and then scolding the New York Islanders. They face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Watch that on Sportsnet East Ontario and Pacific. Anything uh, spicing your chili tonight? Okay, you're gonna laugh at this one, Jeff. Um, oh, I'm going with okay. I'm going with the chaos bowl between the Ottawa Senators and the Buffalo Sabers <laughs> because you know that's jo- gawking. Yeah, hang on, hang on. That <laughs> is, is that is gawking. It is. It is. That is not. I'm not watching this one. I'm gaw- I'm I'm telling you, man. This is like the Oilers and the San Jose Sharks yep. earlier this year. Oh, I'm going to watch this game. No, you're not. You're going to gawk yeah. at this game. And if you're yeah. watching Ottawa-Buffalo, unless you're a Sens fan or a Sabres fan, you're watching this to gawk at it. So yeah. Let's just be blunt about what you're doing here. This is a car accident, basically, Jeff. I'm rubbernecking this one. Yes, I'm driving, that's what you're watching. I'm, I'm rubbernecking and going, wait, hold on a second. What's going on over there? Uh, you know, Jacques Martin comes out and he's talking about the players. And, well, sometimes you just got to be a man about it and you got to – you know, want better things. And this, like, I don't know. I, my, my thought process, just to touch on Jacques Martin for a second, when he took over this thing, like, okay, you're going to be like the coaching consultant or whatever. And we all thought that, well, that yeah. looks a little bit strange. Why would you want to do this? 
at, at his age now, it's like, what, do I really want to deal with this? I know I'm not going to be the coach long-term here. I'm literally babysitting with he's, Daniel Alfredson until the yes, end of the year. But he's going to have a position in the Ottawa Senators sure. organization. So like, there, there have been now? worst cases. I, I got, like, <laughs> hang on a second. You know what I, How long do I have here? Okay, I got a couple a minutes. I got two minutes to do this. You, okay, you know who I think should have a job for life for what he did for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Like, there's one person who I believe, like, should be able to spend the rest of his life on the Toronto Maple Leafs payroll for what he did, and that's Peter Horacek. Yes. Because he... Oh, man, man, that team was so bad. he ever babysit a really bad team (laughs) in a really bad situation where every day you're pulling your hair out and you can't sleep and it's awful and it's lost after... I think, A, there's a special place in hockey heaven for Peter Horchak, and I also think that he should be on the Toronto Maple Leafs payroll and do nothing for the rest of his life yeah. other than collect and count his money for what for what he had to go through shepherding that team to the finish line of that season. Yeah. To me, Peter Horacek, one of the great untold and untalked about stories of sacrifice. You know, we always talk about blocking shots and oh, I'm sacrificing my body. Peter Horacek sacrificed his mental health day after day after day for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He should have like a corner office and never have to show up and a big salary and never have to lift a finger for what he did for that team. Uh, Jeff, you talk about GMs needing to write a book. I think Peter Horacek <laughs> needs to write a book on that season. That That's what I think oh, I needs to happen. I would love to oh, know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Like, just write a yeah, book on that would. season. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, don't know about that. The things we've heard about that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Lawyer up if you write that book. Uh, let's hit a break. The uh, general manager. That's funny, Maddie. The general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, who's been in the center of a lot of all of this, Daniel Briere, joins me in a moment. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard once again today across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, or if you have uh, downloaded this podcast, we thank you. Uh, my next guest is the uh, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's Daniel Briere. He joins me now. Danny, how's your week been? Uh, very quiet. Not much going on here. <laughs> Just your everyday average, you know, middle of middle of January, kind of ho-hum week. Um, okay, so we've we've now seen Jamie Drysdale uh, play with the Philadelphia Flyers. I want to get your, your thoughts on, on how your coach described his play yesterday. And we have heard uh, from Karagoche, both with uh, Alexis Downey on uh, the Light the Lamp podcast last night and Derek Lee's piece as well has a couple of quotes uh, that he gave him about, you know, uh, how things uh, went sour between uh, him and your organization. Um how would you characterize, and we'll get into some specifics in a second, but how would you characterize, you know, leading up to, you know, the moment you made the deal, how would you characterize the relationship between you, the Flyers, and Cutter Goche? Uh, well, we didn't have the chance to have a relationship. Um, I think 
I had the chance to speak to Cutter a few times before, um, but after I became the manager. So I, I'm not sure how the discussions went, um, you know, with the previous regime. But when I became the manager, um, I think I, we had one discussion with Cutter, and then um, when he came back from the World Championship, uh, we were told that um, he didn't want to talk to us, um, didn't want to be a flyer, and wanted to be traded. So um, that's basically all it was. We tried on many occasions to uh, try to engage and just have the chance to sit in front of him and his family to show them our, our vision uh, for uh, himself and for the organization moving forward. But unfortunately, we never got the chance to uh, to do that. So, um, you know, at one, some point after trying and trying, we... We figured that it was it was better to move in a different direction if he didn't want to be here, um, and mm-hmm. and you know try to uh, get a fair return and you know uh, move in a direction with with people and players that want to be on our team. I, I think we're all sort of curious about that that conversation um, after the World Championships. Uh, was that a, first of all? Was that a, like a, a Zoom call? Was that a face to face? What was that conversation? Yeah, yeah, it was a Zoom call. His agent requested a Zoom call. Okay. Um, we thought that he was going to tell us that he wanted to turn pro. Um, that he would he was changing his mind um, as far as because he had told us that he wanted to go back to to college for another another year to develop. Um, but he had a really good uh, world championship, and, uh, and even ourselves, we uh, we thought, okay, he might be more ready than anybody thought. And uh, so we, we were ready to uh, to move in that direction, you know, had a contract ready. Sure. Um, and when, yeah, the Zoom started, and it was, uh, we were told that he wanted to, uh, he was changing his mind, but not to turn pro rather than, uh, you just didn't want to play for the Flyers and um, requested to be traded. You know, it's um, we've we had a, a number of conversations here on this program on the on the podcast with Elliot, sort of you know wondering about you know if that that moment with the Philadelphia Flyers because well, listen, you were right in the middle of it. You had you know just been named the full time general manager. Keith Jones uh, comes along. The uh, the organization is not as stable as it is now. Uh, there were a lot of question marks uh, around a lot of areas. And listen, there was that game where you know against the Rangers, where the the Wells Fargo was flooded with Rangers fans. Um, do you think yep. that that was a contributing factor at all through all of this for Karagochi, or do you just not know? It's very possible. Um, we don't know, so we we, we have no idea. Um, it, it's very possible, and. And to be honest, I, I can understand that to a certain degree. Um, the part that we could not understand was why we could not get a chance to um, present uh, our vision to him and his family. Um, that that was the the odd thing in 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 the whole you know saga. So, um, but it, look, look, it's his decision. Um, it was time to move on. Um, you know, we're excited where where we're going with uh, Jamie Drysdale uh, to start with, but also with with the organization. I think we've we've shown that um, you know we're going in the right direction. There's a plan in place, uh, and we're not going to change from that. 
we're building a team that is hopefully going to be a contender for, for years to come. It doesn't happen overnight, um, but we, we want to bring the Flyers back uh, to where they used to be when, when they have a lot of years of success. Yeah, I'm always curious, and with Daniel Briere, Philadelphia Flyers general manager, Danny, I'm always curious about those initial conversations once you've decided to move on and go to market with someone like Cutter Goche. And there's a, like, there's there's always this thing where you have to distinguish between is it an offer and is it gauging interest? Like conversations are fluid. Uh, was that an offer? Was that just a conversation? Are you trying to figure out what the value of this player is? Like what are those initial conversations like um, when you started speaking with other teams about Goche? Yeah, well, early on, I think you're you're trying to gauge interest and you're trying to gauge the value um, you know, around the league of your players. Early on, that's probably mostly what it was. Um, you know, we, um, we thought that we would get the chance to sit with them. Um, you know, and if we did, we'd, we'd have a, a good chance of convincing him that the Flyers would, would be a good place for him. Um, so early on, yeah, we were just trying to gauge interest, but uh, as we <laughs> moved along and things didn't change and the family, uh, refused to, um, to give us a chance to, just listen to us, um, you know, the, the conversation became to, to be more serious on, on our end. And um, I think for, for the other teams too, when they saw that, that we were really serious about moving him. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for one of the things that, uh, that we picked up on right away at your, uh, your first uh, press scrum after the trade uh, is you thanked other general managers around the NHL for, uh, for essentially not saying anything or, or not saying that he was available. Yeah. Um, personally, I don't like that. Um, I'm not a big fan of that, Danny. I'm not a fan of, uh, of people keep, keeping quiet in this <laughs> industry. Uh, makes it harder to do my job. But I, listen, I, I think we all understand. Um, I think we're, we're curious, too. I, I'm sure there were other offers like Anaheim wasn't the only team. Like when you put someone like Cutter Goche uh, out and available, there are other teams that, that make significant offers. Um, were you close with any other teams with Goche? Yes, we were. Um, there's at least two other teams that, that also made serious offers. Um, there's uh, many teams that were also inquiring and um, maybe didn't make offers officially, but like you said earlier, they were gauging interest and uh, wondering what it would cost. Um, so, so yeah, it was it was definitely a a very long process. And the reason why, you know, we were so adamant that this needed to to stay on the quiet side is because we still believed that we could, you know, find a way if if we could talk to the family to change their mind and. And, and come back. And, you know, he had, ta- he had already changed his mind once uh, after telling us that he was, you know, uh, be built to be a flyer at, at the draft when we selected him. Right. Um, it, you know, we thought, okay, this is, um, you know, someone who's used to changing his mind. And, um, you know, eventually if he does again, uh, we can't have that out there, um, especially with our fans, someone that, tells us he doesn't want to be part of our team and how he changes his mind. So we had right. to, to protect him as much as we can. That was the reason um, why we wanted this, to, especially to, to stay uh, on the down low. Um, you know, after the trade, um, 
you know, and I, we've said it all along. We, we try to be as transparent as we can with our fans, and there's nothing to hide on, on our part um, why we had made the trade because, uh, you know, he was in the spotlight. He had a really good World Junior Championship, uh, you know, one of the best players, if not the best player in the tournament. So um, we didn't want to hide. We didn't want to, um, you know, trying to play dumb um we wanted to be honest with our fans and that's why we came up we came out right away and addressed the situation you know i've been uh i've been praising you for the timing of this and you can tell me whether i'm uh, on base or off base but uh, i look at you know always so when something happens my first question is why is this happening now and i look at you moving cutter goche and i say this is the philadelphia flyers who are in a situation where they have to trade this player and they're trading him at the exact moment where his value is the highest. You mentioned the the World Junior Hockey Championships and he had a tremendous tournament and he's on everybody's lips and everybody knows about Cutter Goche. Um, should I be praising you for the timing of this? Was this deliberate? I don't know if you should be praising me. I mean, it can go many ways and I could be totally way off with this, but you're right when you say that that was one of the reasons why we felt it was time uh, to move ahead. The other reason why we were also afraid that it was going to come out at some point. And when it came out, right. um, there was, first of all, be no turning back. Um, and for, for, for us and for him, um, you know, it'd be getting tougher. And, and, and we were also afraid when it came out, uh, where does the value go? We, we weren't sure of that. So we felt right after the world championship um, was probably the highest value we would get out of them. Um, okay, uh, the return, Jamie Drysdale. Oh, first of all, did it always have to be a defenseman coming back, a young defenseman coming back? Um, no, not necessarily, but it was definitely, um, you know, an area. Because, you know, there's there's two areas that we, we wanted to address, um, a defenseman or a centerman. Um, you know, so obviously, um, you know, making sure that box is filled for us moving forward was extremely mm-hmm. important. Um, and, you know, players like Jamie Drysdale don't become available usually um, unless, you know, yep. you have something enticing in return. Um, you know, so that's that's the, the you know, card we had on, on our side. and. And, you know, we got interested in Jamie, Jamie Drysdale uh, very early, early on in the process. So um, really glad it worked out. We're, we're excited about Jamie's acquisition. Let's, uh, let, let's talk about Jamie. So uh, we've seen him in a Flyers uniform now. Um, first of all, I'm curious about your initial conversations uh, with Jamie after the trade. Second, uh, your thoughts on his game last night against Montreal. And third, uh, your coach's description of Jamie Drysdale, the return of the Rover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and for people that think that the torts is not open-minded um, and not good with, uh, with young guys <laughs> or try to limit them, uh, I think that shows the, uh, a total different side of things. It's... Uh, it's exciting. Um, they look at Jamie's skating ability, um, are second to none. Very impressive the way he skates, the way he moves uh, sideways yeah. as well. Um, you know, and we, we have um, the last few days, I, I, I got to catch myself because you forget that he's only 21 years old. Um, you know, he's been in the NHL for, for a few years already, and you think he's, he's a grizzly veteran, but he's not. He's 21 years old. He's got 
so much to learn, and, and that's the exciting part for us. Um, he, he's got so much more upside. Uh, we believe he can get to a totally different level that he that he is at at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and we thought he had a pretty good first first game last night in a new system that he had to adapt with, new teammates, uh, a new partner on defense, and, and even throughout the night he played with with so many different partners. So it, it wasn't an easy situation. Yeah. Uh, had to get up at uh, after being traded, you know four or three the next morning to, to get on a flight to Philly. So his, his world was changed upside down in, in a matter of, of hours. Mm. So uh, it was pretty impressive what he was able to do in his first game uh, for us last night. What, were the, what was the initial conversation like with him? Um, <laughs> well, it, it's always tough. And I remember myself um, the first time I was traded because you get the call from your previous GM basically telling them that you're being rejected, that we don't want you, you're being traded. And that's, that's the tough part. Yeah. So I, I don't think he remembers mm-hmm. anything that I said to him. He remembers that I called. That's probably about <laughs> it. Um, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I just told him that we were ecstatic uh, to have him be part of the Flyers family. Um, you know, and we saw him the next day when, when he arrived in, uh, in Philly. And, you know, everybody uh, opened up their arms, being excited to, uh, to welcome him. You know, and, and when you walk in that dressing room the next day, it's a totally different feeling because you were rejected the night before. And then the next day you walk in the building and you're, you're welcomed by everybody and everybody wants you. So in a matter of hours, you go from two completely um, different emotional situation, and uh, I think sure. I think he's slowly coming out of it. Uh, but it, I'm sure it's still a shock for him what happened. <laughs> um, my conversation was just that: look, we're I know you're not going to listen to much or hear much of what I'm going to say, but we're ecstatic to have you. Welcome to the Flyers family, and we'll try to get you on a flight to Philly as soon as we can. And when you're ready to play, we'll we'll be excited to have you on the ice with our team. That's pretty much all I told him at first. He was ready to play, uh, as we saw last night. Nice assist on the Morgan Frost goal. Uh, you know, he walks into your dressing room. He knows some of the guys. I mean, in the area, Morgan Frost, we had the assist with last night. Owen Tippett as well, all training in and around the same area, working out together, training. So it's not as if he's going to a completely uh, different dressing room. There are some familiar faces there as well. Yeah. Um, Danny, thanks so much as always. Uh, and thanks for, you know, listen, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers are a fascinating team to cover and a really interesting team to cover and uh listen from our perch and you know anyone in media will tell you you know it's it's not very often you get teams that are uh willing to be as transparent and offer as much as you and and keith jones and dan helferty do so from this little perch thank you as always and uh best of luck with whatever daniel Breer has up his sleeve next thanks for taking time for me today (laughs) thank you very much jeff always a pleasure talking to you there is uh, Daniel Briere, the general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. You know, it is interesting when you sort of frame it in the sense of, you know, one player being rejected um, with one trade and, you know, welcomed uh, on the team that he's that he's, that he's coming to. Um, and I was making this point with Elliot off the top of the program today. You know, there is the we focus so much on the cutter goche side of things here and this is true of all trades like some trades are the player requesting a trade sometimes we find out about it sometimes we know about it. other times we have no clue and we just think that this is a trade that's made by two teams and the player is surprised maybe has an idea maybe maybe requested a deal 
but Qatar Goche asked to be traded. Fact. Qatar Goche rejected the Philadelphia Flyers. Fact. But also at the same time, Jamie Drysdale was completely stunned, completely shocked that the Anaheim Ducks moved him, regardless of who they moved him for. Um, So as much as we talk about a player rejecting a team, that was a team rejecting a player. And I know the sensational part of it and the juiciness and the storyline is Cutter Goche, the player saying no to the team. We don't see that very often. You know, we don't get a chance to talk about that very often. It usually happens the other way. But again, I'll come back to this. In a lot of ways, it's the same thing. Goche rejected the Flyers. The Ducks rejected Drysdale. I know we want to sort of put our thumb on the scale here and say this is more about Cutter Goche, but just at least consider the other side of this as well. Jamie Drysdale was led to believe he was going to be a huge part of this rebuilding of the Anaheim Ducks. And then suddenly, he wasn't. The Philadelphia Flyers thought that Cutter Goche was going to be a huge part of their rebuild. And then suddenly, as you just heard Briere say, he wasn't. Drysdale's played a game. We'll see what happens next year when Cutter Goche starts in the NHL. And we'll circle the date when Anaheim travels to Wells Fargo. Thanks to Danny Briere. Thanks to Jamie Lee Rattray, Eric Erlinson, Elliot Friedman, and everyone on the other side. David Sis, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick, and Matt Marchese. We're back tomorrow for more of the Jeff Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network.